Okay, very good. Praise the Lord for that last song. I wish sometimes we were half Pentecostal. That was praise the Lord, and that's really what we're going to talk about today, honestly, is what our mighty, holy, sovereign God is doing and how we get to hop on board with what he is doing. Today is about his work, not my work, not some special class of people who serve the Lord. We all get to step into the throne room of Isaiah 6 and fall on our faces and say, Woe is me, for I am undone. And then he touches us and cleanses us. He says, I want to use you. And he sends us to speak for him. And that's what I need God to do for me today. And I pray that each of us will get a glimpse of God this morning. We're going to walk through the book of John leading up to John 9, and we're going to observe the followers of Christ and a mistake that they made. And hopefully we can observe ourselves and see that it's a a similar mistake that we make. And ultimately, any problem we have in our life is a misunderstanding of our God. And when we don't know who our God is and what he's doing in our lives and in our world, we disobey, we don't follow, and the problems unfold. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. We're going to actually go to a psalm. We're going to read that psalm, kind of as an opening dedication of this time to the Lord. Then we're going to go to John. We're going to talk about who God is and what he's doing. So first of all, let's pray. Let's each in our own hearts ask God to show us who he is this morning, who we are, maybe a misunderstanding of life and him that we have and how we can better serve him and follow him. So let's pray. Lord, right now there is a throne room where you are high and lifted up and your glory fills that place. And there are people saying, holy, 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 worshiping you. And Lord, we want to step into that throne room. Lord, would you usher us in, Lord? and to see you this morning, see ourselves, let you change us, and then use us. I speak for myself, I'm a man who's undone, of unclean lips, and I need you to touch me this morning, and mercifully use me, in the hearts and lives of these people with your word, and in South Bend, Lord, would you be lifted up in this room? Lord, you said where two or three are gathered. In your name, you're in the midst. So we claim your presence right now. We ask for your blessing. We ask for your glory to fill your church today. In your name, in your name I pray, amen. If you could turn to Psalm 67. There are certain passages that continually come up in our lives and maybe you have different chapters and different um, stories from the Bible, different passages and verses that are uh, 
continual blessing to you. And this has been one of those in my life. Psalm 67. Let's all stand together. And let's read this. And as we read, I want you to think about this. God blesses us so we can be a blessing to the nations. And there's a change that happened in the New Testament with the church, but stretching all the way back to the beginning of time, God has wanted to bless the nations through his people. And as we celebrate July 4th, and the blessing that God has had on our nation, I know we have our needs, but we are a very blessed people. We need to step back and say, why? Why are we blessed? And I think this, this psalm reminds us why we as the people of God should seek the blessing of the Lord. Let's read it together. God, be merciful unto us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. Selah. That thy way may be known upon earth, thy saving health among all nations. Let the people praise thee, O God. Let all the people praise thee. O let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For thou shalt judge the people righteously and govern the nations upon earth. Selah. Let the people praise thee, O God. Let all the people praise thee. Then shall the earth yield her increase, and God, even our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. You may be seated. As you sit down, if you could turn over to the book of John, John chapter 9. The Gospel of John is a book that was written so who, we could know who Jesus was. You know the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each of them has um, a similar story and history of Christ with a, maybe a bit of an emphasis, a direction of each Gospel that God inspired those authors to meet a specific um, part of who he was and a people that he was trying to speak to. We see the Matthew, Mark, Luke, each speaking to a specific group of people. And yes, to everybody, the book of John is just a simple declaration of who Christ is to the world. And as we go through the chapters, we see many names of Christ. He is the bread of life. He is the light of the world. He is the resurrection and the life. And one thing that we see over and over again is that Jesus, the Jesus that we are introduced to in the book of John, is a miracle worker. He does the impossible. And we first see this, you can stay there in John 9, and we're going to lead up to that chapter, but in John chapter 2. And in John chapter 2, we see the first miracle that Christ did in Cana of Galilee. There was a, there was a wedding, and they ran out of wine, or did not have wine, and the mother of Jesus, caught in this tight spot, knew a little bit of who her son was, said, okay, I think I know who can help us with this. And we're in a really tight spot. And actually for our wedding, my wife and I, when we got married, we had a rose catastrophe, and the roses didn't come in, this whole thing, and somebody was going to do this. And so this is, how many of you have ever helped run a wedding? And something's gone wrong the day of, the hour of, right? And it's panic. We're trying to go 
buy a suit. I don't know. We're just going to do something crazy last minute. Well, anyway, they're in this situation, and they're at this wedding, and she goes to Jesus, and I don't need to belabor the point, and they come to Jesus, and they say, hey, help us, and Jesus comes, and he changes the water to wine, right? And so, wow, this is a miracle-working God. He does the supernatural. He does the impossible. Then later on, John 2.23 tells us that many people in Jerusalem believed in Christ when they saw the miracles that he did. John 4 tells of a desperate father who comes to Jesus once again in Galilee looking for healing. His son was on his deathbed. He came to Jesus and Jesus from there healed his son. And he goes back and says, when was he healed? And it was at the same time that Jesus had healed him, miraculously healed him before. John 5, Jesus returns to Jerusalem and he comes and he finds a man who for 38 years had an infirmity. And he was trying to get into a pool called Bethesda and get healing. And the angel would come down and stir the waters and he would be there and he'd try to get there, but he could never get there in time. And he was stuck in this hopeless cycle of trying to get healing and it wouldn't work and maybe hoping and desperate and hopeless and all these, the struggle that he's in. And Christ comes and after a short conversation, he says, rise Take up thy bed and walk. And what happened? He rose up and walked, right? And that's who Christ was. John 6 tells us that there was a great multitude of people that followed Jesus because of the miracles that he had performed on the disease. And later on in that chapter, there's a meal that Christ provided for maybe, well, 5,000 men. So we could, I think we could safely say at this time, 15, maybe 20,000 people. And all he had was five barley loaves and two fishes. Another miracle. Later on in the same chapter, there was a great storm. And the disciples were out there, and Jesus walks on the water. And we're familiar with this, but we see over and over and over again, John 2, the, the, the wedding, John 2, the people following him because of the miracles, John 4, the desperate father, John 5, the man healed at the pool of Bethesda, and John 6, the great people who followed him because he healed the disease and the, the loaves and then walking on the water. And then at the end of the John, John says, hey, just so you know, I didn't write everything. I couldn't because if I tried to, you know, the world could not contain the things that Christ did. So we know that, although here's a, this, is a, this is a mere sampling of the miraculous power of Christ. Now, there was a group of people that were following him during this. A small group, and who were they? What were they called? The disciples. The disciples were there time after time. Walk up. Man can't walk. Miracle healer. The miracle worker touches him. Man can walk. They come to him, and we see this, this struggle of unbelief sometimes. They're like, oh no, what are we going to do? And then Jesus is like, don't you remember yesterday I did this? I'm going to do it again today. And as we look at the pages of Scripture, it's important for us to step into the role of the people of God, the, the, the position of them in the story, because that's often where we find ourselves, right? The people of Israel, time and time again, the Bible tells us, hey, these things are written for your admonition. And sometimes we look at people of Israel and we say, what are you doing? And they're like, oh, oh, well, that's what I do, I guess, right? Same thing for the disciples. We look at the disciples and we're like, what are you guys doing? And then we step in the story and we're saying like, wait, what are we doing, 
right? We're the followers of Jesus. So you see the background. You understand the context. The miracle worker is walking throughout Jerusalem and Galilee and healing and working miracles. And then they come to John chapter 9. So let's look at that. John chapter 9. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And the first verse there is like the setup to the storyline. Do we have any doubt about what's about to happen? If you had never read John 9, you could tell me what happened, right? Because you've read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and now you're in John, and you're like, yep, miracle, 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 guy can't walk, guy's son's on his deathbed, they don't have food, and they don't have this, and they come here, and the setup is right there. And the light of the world is walking by this man who's living in darkness. He'd never seen. And the Bible college students, the institute students are right there. They had seen Jesus do miracles day after day after day. And all they can offer is a theological analysis of why this guy is in the situation that he's in. And they just step into the role of punditry. Look at it. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And I just want to simply point out that these men missed it because they didn't understand who God was. And they stepped into this role of analysis, picking apart this man's life. This man was in a bad position. Blindness is a hard thing, a horrible thing, and I, I'm not even qualified to speak of it because I have the blessing of sight. But I know of some blind people. I know of there's a blind person I know who's functional. They live alone. I think they work in finance. They get around with the city transit. They have friends do this. They have pets and they, all this stuff. And they're blind and they, they read books. They navigate computers. That's not how it was for this guy. Did he have a family? He had parents. He doesn't seem to have a family of his own. The Bible tells us that he sat there and begged. And so blindness for this man was an absolute prison that was holding him back from so much. He couldn't work a job. He was left at the mercy of those who walked by to say, okay, I'll give this guy a little bit again today, whatever. We'll try to take care of him. Maybe he'd take his stuff and maybe he had his route and his merch and he'd try to get a little bit of food on the way home or whatever his situation was. But this man didn't have a normal job, a normal family. He was a well-known beggar. His standing in society was transformed and impaired because of his lifelong disability. And like I said, he lived off the mercy of those who walked by. And if it had been just the mercy of the followers of Jesus in this situation, it would have been a very sad, mundane day. If the only mercy that had come by this man that day had been Christ's followers, the man would have been left in darkness. Blindness 
hopelessness. Tomorrow will just be another day of the same thing. Another day of begging. Thankfully, the teacher was there with them. And Christ was there. And he said, you know what? You're stuck here in this position of punditry, but this is not about this man's actions. It's not about his sins. Verse 3, neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be, man, should be made manifest in him. Christ was saying, you're seeing a problem here, but this is a platform for the glory of God. And we are in a society that loves punditry. And we're just like these people. Talk radio is huge. Talk shows on the TV. We sit there and we toss around these ideas. We watch Fox or whatever. We got these, this guy, this guy, this voice. And we tune in hours and we hear people talk about problems. And we sit around and we talk about problems. And we enjoy it and we love it. Did you know who this, why, who did this? Whose fault is this? And it's an ignorant response. Because as the followers of Christ, we have more to offer people than analysis and punditry. We have hope in Christ to offer them. And so when we come to this situation, I'm going to apply it to how God has burdened my family to reach Muslims in our country, immigrants in our country, and globally, these people who we live around and we react to in fear or anger. These refugees are here. We have some policy that comes down and 3,000 people come flying into our cities and we say, what's this about? Who did this? These are Democrats again. They're ruining our country. And now I understand that there is a proper political response. We vote for, I believe in the sovereignty of nations, I believe in security of borders and for immigrant, immigration and all that thing, all that stuff. But I'm saying that if we look at this problem and we stay in the position of the disciples and we stay sitting here all day saying, whose fault is this? And we never see what God is doing we're going to walk by thousands and millions as a church and we're going to leave them in their darkness because we're too busy, fired up and angry and frustrated or discouraged or afraid of the very people we're supposed to be loving and showing the love of Christ to. So this ignorant response that the disciples have it's not just proud, it's ignorant. They size up the whole situation and conclude that this is the judgment of God being poured down on this man. But they don't understand this situation because they don't understand God. So Christ steps in. It must have surprised them. They were enthusiastic about the, what they knew about the judgment of God and how it works on sinners And God says, and Christ says to them, no, guys, step up a little bit higher. Let's see this from a different perspective, from a loving, sovereign God who's working. And let's see what God's going to do here. And do you know what John 9 is full of? 
the glory of God because the situation didn't stay in punditry. We decided to take, they decided to take a, a problem and a crisis in somebody else's life, and Christ said, I'm going to work. He touches the man, and once again, we see a miracle take place. The blindness was not a punishment for the man. The blindness was for the glory of God in the man's life. Jesus had work to do, and he had the power to do that work. He healed him, and the topic of misguided discussion turned into a miracle. So, what does this look like in our lives? I've referenced it already. We are aware of problems in our own lives, problems of those close to us, and we're aware of a crisis out there. And we can sit all day in judgment and in high knowledge of who God is and how he works and how he judges people. Or we can say, God, since you are the miracle worker, based on who you are, can you step into this situation in my life and this blindness in my life and heal me? Can you step into my family and this situation problem that, I, that we're in? And can you heal us? Can you step into the situation in our society and the people around us that need the Lord, and can you work? Christ said, I must work the works of him that sent me. Well, it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay and said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. So it's a simple lesson this morning. the thought that what are we going to do with the problems that we have in our own lives and with the problems that we see around us? Are we going to be stuck in analysis and frustration and anger at an invading culture, an invading religion? Or are we going to step up and say, Christ, you love these people. What are you going to do in their lives? Now, maybe you're sitting here and you say, hey, well, Jesus did let the guys know that this blindness was not because of sin. But I know of a problem, and these people are sinners, right? They deserve it. And from what you know about the Jesus that we have, a, that we have seen in the book of John and throughout the pages of Scripture, what if this man had been in this position because of his sin? What if it was his fault? What would Christ have done? Would he have done something much, much different? Would he have said, okay, this guy, I'm going to, whoa, it's his fault? This man is in a problem because of his own sin? Sorry. Now, if he'd been perfect, I would have done something about it. If he'd been good, if it had not been his responsibility, I would have healed him. Think about it in your own life. Did Christ save you because it wasn't your fault? No, it was in spite of your sin. So when we see those other people that we know of who are like, these are not good people, these are bad people, this is a bad situation, this, this situation is because of somebody's sin, in those situations as well, we can count on the love and mercy of our God to use that situation as a platform for his glory. And when he works, we know it was him that did it. 
And so we see the, throughout the Bible other followers of God understanding these situations. Like Joseph, his brothers meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. The three Hebrew children didn't start a campaign or a protest against the king. They simply and boldly stood for truth, and God worked a miracle. They were in a hard situation that wasn't their fault, but God worked a miracle. David didn't simply attack the children of Israel for cowardice. Right? Remember he came up? He said, what are we doing? Isn't there not a cause? And there's, there's, a, there's, a, place, there's a place for talking about issues and problems. But we can't stay there. Remember what David did? He said, what's going on here? And then he said, I'm going to step up. And that's what we need to do as well. We need to step into those situations. Then think about Christ, our ultimate example, as we see in this chapter. He didn't come and stand in condemnation or celebration of the chaos of mankind, but he rather came to save us. So turn over to Acts 3. We see a couple of the same men, the same disciples from John 9. Their teacher is no longer with them. He's gone to heaven. It's just them. And the Holy Spirit says, after Acts 2, Pentecost, the Spirit came and touched them. And in Acts 3, verse 1 says, Now Peter and John, a couple of the disciples who were there on that other day, that other day when they encountered the blind man, went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, starting to sound a little familiar, right? the same storyline we saw over and over, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. So once again, the scene is set. We're going to see if the disciples learned the lesson from John 9. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, and stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew that it was he, that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what at what at which at that which had happened. Unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. I think this is a beautiful parallel passage to what happened there in Acts 9, where once again the disciples encounter a crisis. Instead of sitting there in analysis, they jump to action and say, I know someone who can work a miracle. And we don't care whose fault this is. We don't care if this man deserved it. We have a God who loves this man. 
And through that situation, God is glorified. So for us, we have a world that is full of problems. We don't have to look far to see a spiritual or a physical crisis in our world. There is an incredible, immense amount of refugee movement around the world today from Ukraine, Syria, Myanmar, and other places. People fleeing their borders, chaos ensuing, evil seems to be ruling so many countries, and people are pouring into our country. And we, as a church of God, and you, as the church of God in South Bend, are sitting there, and you're going to the store, you're seeing them move into your neighbors, neighborhoods, you're seeing beards and hijabs, and you're seeing people who dress different, look different, eat different than you. And you could stand there from a distance and say, hmm, what's happening here? You could complain about what, which way their vote will go. We see people who are not legally here. And it's a problem. But since they're here, and since we're in this position, like I was saying in the first hour this morning, who do we think our God is? Is not he sovereign over history and orchestrating this all for his glory? Do we believe that at the end of all times that there will be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation gathered around the throne, worshiping him? And since that's true, when we walk into Walmart, when we see the people move next door, when we see the problems maybe of someone who's addicted to a substance in our neighborhood, maybe somebody who is homeless, someone who's in a family crisis. We are the followers of Christ. And Christ has taught us through his word. He taught us through his example. And now we're walking by people every day and maybe they're asking for the wrong help. In Acts 2, the man was asking for money. That wasn't bad, but that's not what wasn't their job. And we have people coming to our borders and they're looking for English, looking for help with housing, help with reading their mail. These are things, real things that refugees and immigrants need or are asking for. And we need to step there and say, you know what? I might be able to help you with some of that stuff. I'm not calling us to a social gospel. I'm not calling us to become in a financial assistance institution or I think it's very possible for those who get excited about ministry to maybe start focusing on the wrong things. The center is the gospel. But when we encounter people who are asking for help in different ways, spiritual ways, physical ways, emotional ways, we can step in and say, 
I have the ultimate solution for you. It's Christ. And God will use us to show the love of Christ through those physical means. And I think even for my family and I, we find those great opportunities to teach English, to give them a hand and help them understand what that mail from the government means. But ultimately to sit down and say, do you know who Christ is? Do you know where you're going when you die? What hope is your religion attempting to give you? Are you confident that all your sins are forgiven? And because of that, it's a platform for the glory of God. There was a man I heard who said, maybe it's time for us to stop arguing about if some of them can come to us and it's time for a lot of us to go to them. I believe you should vote right. I believe that you should make wise decisions and for political leaders and all those types of things. But above it all, are we going to be conservatives or Republicans to the point where we can't see the needs around us and show the love and compassion of Christ? When Christ looked on the multitudes, he was moved with compassion because he saw them. Sheep without a shepherd. And I'm afraid we respond in anger and frustration. I respond in anger and frustration to those near me. And God is saying, I love them. Do you? I'm trying to reach them. Will you join my work? So I know it's a simple story here, and it's a simple background. And I'm not sure where you are in your own life and how you view immigrants and refugees and those who are in, in need. I guess, for me, I've been around a very diverse area. Um, I've been burdened in this direction for a long time, so it doesn't really phase me to see a beard and a, and a turban and all that. I'm not sure where you're at with that. I'm not sure where you're at when you see someone who is not supposed to be here legally. I don't think it's right. But I think that they need to hear Jesus and they need to meet our Savior. So this morning, I just want to call us to a simple decision to stop looking at the problems that we hear about on talk radio and on the TV and the immigration problems, and they're real. I know they're real, but to stop looking at them and living angry, whose fault is this kind of lives? And they say, what are you doing? Can you step into this person's life? I know that can be like a hard pill to swallow when we celebrate our nation and we don't appreciate sometimes the changes and the influences that are coming into our country. But here's another very practical point. If you are concerned about our nation, what better thing could you do than introduce those who are coming here to the love of Christ? You say, oh, my America's going, I can't believe these people are here and they're just, they're, 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 they're messing up my my, uh, my, uh, my finances with 
dependence on government and they're messing up my society because they're trying to speak a different language and dress a different way and all this stuff and I'm frustrated this isn't the good old USA that I'm used to. But can we look beyond that and say, hey, the hope for our nation, for those who have lived here for generations, is Christ. And the hope for our nation going forward is Christ. I pray this morning that we could lift our eyes and have compassion and love. And that we would not be like the followers of Christ in John 9, who come to a problem and all they can think about is whose fault is this. But we can step away and say, hey, I have a healer, I have a savior who wants to save them, and I'm going to share Christ with them. Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. And maybe this morning, just in the quietness of your own heart, you can say, about a specific situation or a person in your life who you are frustrated with or angry or maybe just in general. As I was talking of refugees and immigrants and if you see an ethnicity or you see a person in your blood pressure rises because you're angry and frustrated and you want to know whose fault this is and why is this person here and what are they doing to my country and all these things. Say, God, could you give me your heart of compassion? Could you give me your heart of love? And this afternoon, I want to talk with you guys about some practical ways that I'm learning to love and reach these people's lives. But maybe just this morning, we can just ask God to just do a little reset on our response to the people around us and the problems we encounter. So let's just take a minute or two here and just in the quietness of your heart, say, God, is there something that I'm missing? If I'm responding to anybody in anger or fear or frustration or judgment, I know I don't want to sound like there's no room for truth. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, is there compassion? Is there love for those who are struggling around you? And maybe, like I said, legally someone's not supposed to be here, but they are a living soul who will live somewhere forever. And maybe someone you're kind of frustrated with because of their religion is a threat to the America you know. But they're an eternal soul with struggles, fear, and sin, and they need Jesus. Say, God, I want to learn just like Peter and John did. In Acts 3, when I walk past those who are struggling, walk past those who are homeless, I'm not talking about giving handouts, I'm talking about showing them the love of Christ and sharing the truth of the gospel with them. That God would give us hearts and eyes of compassion. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the pointed message that you taught your disciples that day about your glory and what you're doing in the world, Lord. Would we hop on board with it? 
Would you give us compassion and love for those near to us? Maybe a sibling or a parent or a child who we're angry with right now, maybe a coworker, maybe a neighbor, maybe an ethnicity, maybe a people group who we're angry with right now and give us compassion and love for them. And Lord, I pray that this week, these next seven days as we encounter these people in our lives, that we would think differently about these situations and say, how can my miracle-working God heal the souls and problems around me? And we'll praise you, Lord, and we know that if we do this, Lord, we will come back, and maybe those who we were bitter at in our close circle, maybe those who we were angry at in our broader circle, we'll be able to come back and say, you know what? I've put on a, a new set of glasses to look at the world. That's the compassionate eyes of Christ. And I don't respond in anger and bitterness. I'm aware, I'm alert, I'm smart. I'm calculated in the decisions I make. But I'm aggressively compassionate to those around me who are struggling and in need of you. And we'll give you the glory, Lord. I pray that this church would be able to encourage each other this way, Lord. I pray that you would help me to respond like this too. We love you. Thank you so much for letting us gather together today. Thank you for teaching us. In your name I pray, amen.